0: Somebody, Somewhere is a production of Rainstream Media, Incorporated. This podcast investigates the unsolved death of federal prosecutor Jonathan Luna in 2003. It is a true story. But the opinions of the hosts and interviewees are simply that—opinions, not facts. And the credibility of the witnesses and what they say is to be determined by the listener. Everyone is presumed innocent until proven otherwise in a court of law. previously on Somebody Somewhere. The way this case evolved was half of the people working on the case thought it was homicide, half thought it wasn't. It was suicide. He was the type of person that when he
1: has a mission, he is going to get it done. And there was like a Quazenay Chinese vase that had a lid on it. And I put that tape in there for safekeeping.
0: Attorney Ken Ravenel has handled some of the most high-profile cases in the Baltimore area. Now he finds himself in the limelight again, but for the wrong reason.
2: Now, I will say this, it became addictive. It became addictive. So whenever I got down to $25,000 in my account or the business account, I felt that I have to, renovate.
3: This is Bonus Episode 11 of Season 3, The Scorpion and the Frog. I'm your host, David Payne. It's been 10 years since a federal prosecutor was found dead in rural Lancaster County. We will find out who did this. Was he
0: trying to stage some sort of attack yeah. and went
1: too far? I'm a crook. You're a crook. He'll crook. Everybody a crook in prison.
3: Hey everybody, it's the fall of 2022. More than a year and a half has passed since our last episode in this season. There have been no new breaks or leads in the Jonathan Luna investigation, but there have been key developments in the lives of several witnesses that I thought you might find interesting, hence this bonus episode. And for reasons that will become apparent later, I wanna start today's episode with a fable that speaks to the new information we wanna share. Here's Orson Welles in the 1955 film, Mr. Arcadon, recounting the old Russian tale of the scorpion and the frog. <laughs> <laughs>
2: and
0: Now I'm going to tell you about a scorpion. This scorpion wanted to cross a river. So we asked the frog to carry him. No, said the frog, no, thank you. If I let you on my back, you may sting me in the sting of a scorpion is dead. Now, whereas the scorpion is the logic of that, for scorpions always try to be logical. If I sting you, you will die. I will drown. So the frog was convinced and allowed the scorpion on his back, but just in the middle of the river, he felt a terrible pain and realized that, after all, the scorpion had stung him. Logic, cried the dying frog as he started underbearing the scorpion down with him. There is no logic in this. I know, sir, the scorpion, but I can't help it. It's my character. Let's
2: drink to character.
3: (laughs) As we inch closer to the 19th anniversary of Jonathan Luna's death, the FBI seems no closer to solving its mystery. Knowing what I know about how the FBI operates, if they want us to know anything, they'll schedule a press conference on the 20th anniversary of his death to reignite interest in the case. If they don't hold a press conference, however, it probably means one of two things. One, they have more evidence than previously disclosed that would support a conclusion that Jonathan Luna killed himself. Or two, they are intentionally withholding the details of his murder because one of their own is implicated or they're embarrassed by their failure to solve the murder of a federal prosecutor. But as we wait to determine which direction the FBI signals by its actions, the ability to get to the bottom of what happened wanes. And that's where we'll start, because several critical witnesses are no longer available. First, you will recall that the case Jonathan Luna was trying the day before he died was called the Stash House Records case. The trial had gone off the rails when the defense discovered that Jonathan's primary witness had been slipping his electronic bracelet terrorizing his neighborhood and selling drugs. Jonathan was in trouble with the judge for not disclosing these facts to the two defense attorneys, Archie Tuminelli and Ken Ravenel. And at the end of court proceedings that final day, Jonathan got permission from his supervisor to cut a plea deal for Tuminelli's client, agreeing to drop an alleged related murder charge at sentencing. Here's Tuminelli recalling what happened after he and Jonathan parted that night.
1: And when I leave, my understanding is he's going to do the plea agreement. And he says, I'm going to stay here and finish that. And I'll see you tomorrow. I think I probably talked to him. And then he left a message. And I believe it was from a voicemail. And it was one of those older machines where you had a little tape. So here's a real critical question. Do you have that tape still? You know what I did? I remember, now do you ask me that? There was a fireplace with a mantle, and there was like a quasinet Chinese vase that had a lid on it. And I put that tape in there for safekeeping. But we moved like two and a half years ago. I will look and see if it's still there. You know what? You're right about one thing. I wouldn't have thrown it away.
3: That That, could have been the last call that he made. I mean... It
1: was. I'm pretty sure from the FBI, that was the last contact anyone had from Jonathan.
3: And now, Archie Tuminelli has sadly passed away without ever finding that tape. And we will never know what was on that last recording of Jonathan Luna. And the other person who spoke with Luna right before the mysterious midnight ride The lawyer for the other defendant in the Stash House Records case, Ken Ravenel, well, he's probably unavailable now, too. Here's WBAL's Jane Miller last December.
0: In brief comments in court, Attorney Ken Ravenel acknowledged the irony of his life. Long a practicing criminal defense attorney, Ravenel is now sentenced to prison as a criminal defendant. Ravenel was convicted of one count of money laundering conspiracy. Prosecutors argued he ran what they called a dirty bank for marijuana dealer Richard Byrd, a Ravenel client. The judge rejected Ravenel's request for probation and issued a sentence of 57 months in prison, four years, nine months. This is a crime of greed, the judge said. There is no other explanation. At the federal courthouse, I'm Jane Miller, WBAL TV 11 News.
3: In October 2022, Ravenel was ordered to start that four-year sentence while his appeal is pending. And you have to wonder, if Ravenel has any information about Luna's death that he can barter for leniency, whether he might take that course after his legal options are exhausted. Because not only was Ravenel one of the last two people to speak with Jonathan, he was also the defense lawyer for bank robber Nako Brown in the missing money case. So if Ravenel has any information on what happened to the missing money, it's reasonable to think he'll try to barter that for leniency as well. Which leads us to the third update I wanna bring to your attention. This one involving Nako Brown, who still believes his lawyer, Ken Ravenel, was the one who stole the $36,000 in shrink-wrapped evidence from his trial.
2: Well, at the end of the trial, he lost this briefcase that he never bought before, and I, I realized that the briefcase is a little bigger than his normal compact briefcase, you know. And so, of course, hindsight, I'm looking back and saying, "Oh my goodness, that, that was probably the day that he took the money, or the money was taken."
3: Now, as our interviews with Judge Andre Davis and former prosecutor Jackie Rodriguez coss established, that claim is almost assuredly not true. Koss said she had the chain of custody of that money as it left the courtroom and was wheeled into the U.S. Attorney's trial prep room. But we know Naco's a man with a big imagination, and he's committed to this storyline. In fact, he called me last July and left a voicemail with this pitch.
2: Hey, David, this is Naco, Mr. Brown. Been a long time. I want to talk to you about an idea that i have for a story that now that Revenel has have been indicted and sentenced i want to talk to you about this idea maybe you want to get uh your other friend on board it's definitely going to be the story of the century and something that you're going to be able to and he's going to be able to uh, benefit from so give me a call
3: As he would tell me when we caught up, this story of the century was simply his debunked claim that Ravenel stole the money and Nako was going to sue him to force the whole story to come out. But the circumstances of this call from Nako bear some explanation. You may remember that when Nako was released from prison during the pandemic, he was a man in a hurry to make up for lost time. He had big plans to make a movie based on one of the many books he had written in prison. And so when I first talked to you, yeah, mm-hmm. you literally hit the ground running. Right. And you jumped back in not only into the prior books, but also mm-hmm. this movie idea that you have developed.
2: Believe it or not, it was one of my first books, Divided Nation. It was a fiction, Divided Nation. Back in 2005, I wrote that book. This particular book is it's really helping the African American community to not just come together, but take a good look of us and what we need to do to feel love amongst ourselves and, and build a unity amongst ourselves.
3: And appropriate of the title and subject matter, NACO found an actor to play the lead, whose day job was running for Congress as a black conservative Republican in Florida. Then, he recruited noted Atlanta film producer Mike Carter who went on a local Jacksonville television show to talk about NACO's film among his other projects.
4: And I have another film, a guy came from out of town and invested in me to produce and direct another film that he has called uh, Divided Nations. You got a lot of stuff going on. I do.
3: And I gotta be honest, I was both impressed at NACO's hustle and fearful he was heading towards a crash and burn. I mean, here's a guy who's been in prison for two decades. He owes almost $400,000 in restitution. He's on supervised release trying to put his life back together with all the conditions that entails. And he's flying all over the country trying to get a movie produced. And of course, many of you were sooner to predict than I, the outcome that that combination of factors would produce.
4: Right now at 1030, a story you will only see here on Fox 35. A serial bank robber from Maryland caught red-handed right here in Orlando. He
0: told officers he was making a movie here in town and he needed some money. Fox 35's Valerie Boy has this exclusive story.
3: The range of emotions I experienced when Fox 35's Valerie Boy reached out to me about NACO's arrest was full. First, I was just sad. I thought Nako had turned a corner, and now he had thrown away the rest of his life for $4,000. But my sadness was directed more towards his family, especially his wife and kids, who had spent their entire lives following him around the country to stay close. And when he finally got released, he did it all over again. And that sadness was mixed with a healthy dose of anger. Anger at his choices, and the pain they caused not only to his family, but to the tellers and customers in that bank.
0: 911, what is the location of your emergency? Is this McCoy Federal Bank? Yes, it is.
2: Uh-huh. All right, do you need police, fire, or medical? We need the police. We just got robbed.
3: And as I process the fact that NACO had so fundamentally terrorized people again, I couldn't help trying to figure out what led this man down such a self-destructive path yet again. I know many of you saw this coming, I get it. But I had hoped and believed he had the potential to turn his obvious energy towards living a productive life. And with that hope dashed, I wanted to dissect what happened. So I made a FOIA request for the body cam videos of his arrest. I was curious to see whether Nako had broken down or whether he wanted to get caught on purpose because he couldn't cope outside the institution. But what I saw instead when I received the tapes was something more pedestrian—a man who simply got caught red-handed.
2: Step, Step back. Down. I will, I will, I will. Get down. Turn around. Turn around. Turn around. Turn around. Challenge okay. one. Put your hands on there. There you ahead. go. I'm Michael. My... Challenge one. Got one. one. Good. You got
4: it.
3: And after initially protesting that they had the wrong guy.
2: Come on man, huh? This thing right, man. I need to call lawyers up, man.
3: Nako ultimately decided to confess, telling police that when one of the offers for his film fell through, he became depressed and didn't know what to do. So, uh,
2: I came out here to do a film. And uh, I ran out of money once again. And, uh, it was time to pay my producers and I'm out of out to the bank, I am out to the bank i do not hear nobody so I won't know. I try to do it as, as harmless as possible because I ain't not want to get anybody involved. I'm to hear I just want to, just need us the money to pay, payroll, so. and so uh, on. And they make my kid, I think my kids probably, I did it again. Can't get a break. <laughs> Just need one break. Ask people to help me, get money. Also help, not too long. Not too hard, bang. Just I failed, this for the first time. Out two years, I failed.
1: Yeah, no. So I'm
2: sorry. I'm sorry, let me back in a little
3: Somebody somewhere will return right after this break. Over the course of the last two years, I've heard from enough of you all to know there are many who have no sympathy for Nako's fate. He made his bed and needs to lie in it. And I understand that point of view. I'll post a video of his police interview on sbswpodcast.com for anyone who wants to see the entire interaction and make their own judgment on whether these were real or crocodile tears. But a couple of weeks after the bank robbery, I had a chance to speak with Belle Isle Deputy Chief Travis Graham to get an assessment from someone actually in the room. Did you get the sense that he was trying to talk his way out of it, or was he trying to
4: clear his conscience? What was your impression? My impression was that this was not his first time being involved in something like this. And he knew all of the evidence was going to mount up against him, and he wanted to get it off his chest. I mean, was he broken or was he just matter-of-fact, or...? He was broken. He was broken, you know, doing some research on him, learning the facts that he had once tried to do a church, or something to that effect. And that's how he started robbing the bank, or why he started robbing the banks for the funding. His whole story goes that same route with what he told me. He was trying to do his best. He, He was fighting those demons. And he was on a good path, but he'd never really got a hold of the money to do this movie that he was working on. And this was his only only thought that he could do. He said, the evil demons took over, and this was the only way I could find that money. Yeah,
3: it's sad. I mean, it's just, he's now back in probably for
4: life, is my guess. More than likely. I guess we look at it a little bit different. While it is sad that somebody's life and family is affected like that, I don't think most people that commit the crimes take it personal when they get caught. And most of your veteran cops don't do that either. It literally is just part of the game. It is part of how the whole system works. And if there's a few times that they don't get caught, good on them. If they're not, then that's good on us. So it's just, like I said, it's the system that we all are a part of
3: And I know he's right. It is all part of the system, and we're all part of the game. And honestly, even my sympathy for NACO waned after I received that call from him pitching the story of the century. And the incomparable Jody Gottlieb was there as always to keep it real when I called to tell her about it. You there?
0: Yeah, hey, what's up?
3: Guess who called me?
0: Uh, NACO Brown.
3: So he calls me from jail... Of course, and he says, "Hey, I got a story for you. I'm like, "Well, first of all, I'm like shocked that he's calling me.
0: Well, wait, did he acknowledge that he was back in prison and why he was in prison? I mean, it's hard to not acknowledge when you're calling from the
3: from jail. What did he, he say he didn't say he didn't do any of that. It's almost like maybe he thought I didn't know or something. No acknowledgement, nothing no remorse." So, I
2: mean,
0: you know me. I've always been, well, uh, let's be honest, I'm always highly cynical. You're much more, much more trusting. I just don't understand how he even thinks, well, he thinks you're a sucker, maybe.
3: Yeah. Players got to play. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. Got to believe the best in people.
0: I, yeah, you do, but you got to read the signs on the road.
3: I just want to believe in the redemption. I
0: know, I know, I know you did. I know you did. And I'm just so jaded and cynical that, of course, not that he couldn't turn it around, but just uh, because people do get out of the system and can survive and thrive. And but it's a whole lot of work. You know, I love a good redemption story, but this ain't it.
3: So with misplaced hopes on the redemption of Nako Brown, I can't help thinking about the scorpion and the frog. Is our character so ingrained that we'll do what we're destined to do, regardless of the self-destructive consequences? I don't know the answer, so I'll leave that to the biologists and philosophers in our crowd. But what I do know is that despite the Nako Brown saga, I'll keep looking for the best in people, hoping for redemption. That's my nature, and I could probably no more escape it than NACO can his. I also know that new attention will be brought to Jonathan's case. That's because a new documentary based on Bill Keesling's novel, The Midnight Ride of Jonathan Luna, will soon be released. And like this podcast, we expect that attention to put more pressure on investigators to actually solve the murder of Jonathan Luna.
1: goes the devil telling me to lie again but tears I'm around me says it's all right to pretend yeah. that you can get more than you give
3: somebody somewhere is a production of rainstream media incorporated sound design editing and mixing has been provided by resonate recordings Original score and voiceover work provided by Hallie Payne. Artwork provided by Evan McGlynn and Kendall Payne. If you have any information regarding the Jonathan Luna case, please contact us via our website, sbswpodcast.com. And finally, if you enjoyed this podcast, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps, and we really appreciate it. Thank you for listening.